The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, donfox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, Don. Good to see you. How you doing? Doing great, Scott. Yourself? I can't complain. You know, before we start the show, perhaps some are wondering uh, what happened to Andy and, and what he's doing at this point and why he isn't joining us. Well, that's a great question. We did have a couple of emails uh, after last week's show. And uh, yeah, you know what? Andy and I have been uh, doing this show together for 16 years. And uh, Andy was more or less phasing into retirement. And look, I have a feeling he had just a wonderful summer. And uh, just said, you know what? I'm having such a great time. I don't think I want to come back to this show. And he is a uh, set phasing into a retirement mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was really, there's certainly no hard feelings. We, he was, uh, um, I know one listener uh, sent me an email and says, oh, I hope there was no issues there. And no, 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 no. We're great <laughs> friends. All things are good. Yeah. So no, no problem there. It's just, it was just a business decision on his, on his end. And uh so that uh, left us with a revamp in the show, and mm-hmm. and we, what we've done is uh, we've created basically my whole team, the Fox Group Private Wealth Management, and so we will be having. Uh, last week was Gary Hogan. This week we'll we'll be talking to Jay Llewellyn, and next week will be my son Mitch Fox, and we'll be rotating through and going through uh, a lot of the same things that Andy and Don used to do. It's just uh, just a little bit of a new format and a couple new specialties, which is kind of nice. So. We're going to be actually going out in a different branches, a bit more detail, which leads me to what uh, Jay here, for that matter. So Jay Llewellyn is in, of course. Uh, I've known Jay for years. Uh, does our insurance, of course, as is, is, is part of this umbrella and such. And uh, and within this umbrella, what is Jay's role? What do you? What, what is your new role in all of this, Jay? So Don and I have worked together for the last uh, 22 years. I've been at IG for 24 years. And during that time, Don and I have our, our relationship as a, as a team. I've, I've focused a little bit more uh, on the insurance side of things. I also do comprehensive financial planning, um, just as Don does. But more of the focus with, with Don's client base has been on the insurance side of things. So with the insurance, there's so many different avenues that we can look at. Um, most of the most of our clients uh, have group insurance uh, through their through their providers through their work. They'll have mortgage insurance, and then they come to us and say, you know, what do what do I got here? What do, do I have the right stuff? Do I am I am I covered properly? What do I need to look at? Can you do an overall review of my insurance? What I have, you know, maybe my parents bought me a policy when I was three years old or something like that, and I just don't know if I have the right the right coverage. So, you know, much much which we did with your, yourself and your family, Scott, is we look at the overall the overall perspective of, of what you have in your portfolio or insurance portfolio. So there's there's health and dental, there's disability, there's critical illness, there's long-term care, there's term life, there's mortgage insurance, there's permanent insurance, there's whole life, universal life. There's so many different types of insurance. And it's very confusing to the to the common person just to look at this and say, what do I need? Like, do I need all of this stuff? Do I need 20 policies? Um, so that's what we do. We, we sit down with people and say, okay, well, everyone's needs are different. Some people need maybe 10 different policies. Some people need one policy. So 
when I sit down with clients, the, the number one question I would say for, for younger families or, or people uh, in their 40s or 50s is, I've got this mortgage insurance. What's it all about? What's, what is this all about? And I, I'd say to them, you know, mortgage insurance has its place. Um, it's very easy to get. Um, it's done at the time when you sign up for your mortgage, so that makes it very convenient. There's no underwriting. They ask you a couple questions. So, uh, you know, are you a smoker? Do you have cancer? Have you had a heart attack? Um, and, and it's very easy. Um, it's linked to your mortgage payment, so you really don't see it. So you don't know what what you're actually paying sometimes because you've got your mortgage payment and your your insurance all kind of looped into one. And it's it can be uh, a little misleading for some people because they don't know how much they're paying. So when we sit down with clients and, and we look at what they've got, um, we dissect it for them. We break it down what they're paying in, in, in interest, what they're paying in principal, what they're paying in taxes, possibly property taxes, and then what they're paying in their insurance. And often we find that the cost that they're paying for the mortgage insurance far outweighs what a policy would cost if they did it on their own. So we'll we'll run a quote for clients and 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 have a look and see what what kind of coverage we can offer them in a in a standalone uh, individual policy and those individual policies are generally a term policy so the difference between mortgage insurance and term insurance are is what I, I want to discuss today or kind of get into the weeds a little bit about um, the other uh, so I'd say the disadvantages to the mortgage insurance is it's it's generally a yearly renewable policy so every year you're up for renewal uh either for your mortgage or for the insurance and um the, the premiums go up every year whereas if you lock into a certain specific term so let's say a term 10 or a term 20 policy you've got level premiums for those years um, they don't change you're in a contract for that many years um with the mortgage insurance again um the other thing that the biggest thing i think is that it's underwritten at time of death so they don't like i said they ask you a couple questions when you fill out the application and then you've got coverage what happens is they they underwrite meaning they look at when someone passes away they look at where uh what types of pre-existing conditions they had at that time so if someone passes away let's say um, then they, they start digging a little deeper and say, well, wait a minute, you didn't tell us about this or you didn't tell us about that. So I have one story I want to share. We had a client, sorry, a prospect call the office and say, listen, I've heard you guys on the radio. Uh, I'd like to invest some money with you. I'm coming into some money. And that's, you know, often we'll get those phone calls. Um, and this one was a little bit different. The woman said, well, my husband's passed away and I'm inheriting some money. Again, not unusual. So she came in the office and we chatted with her and she had mortgage insurance and she thought she was going to be getting $500,000 from the bank to be paid out uh, to her because her husband passed away and they had this mortgage insurance of, of $500,000. So it turns out, I said, well, that's great. I said, when you get the funds, um, we'll put together a plan and we'll figure out what's the best best strategy for, for you and your family. Um, couple weeks passed by after she had left the office. I didn't hear from her. Another month passed by, didn't hear from her. So I thought I'd reach out to her and just see how things were going. And uh, unfortunately, she said, well, I, I'm kind of in a, a fickle here. I've, I'm, I'm in a debate with the insurance company and the bank and they, they're they denying my claim or denying my husband's claim. And I couldn't believe it because he passed away. You think you'll, you'll get the payout. 
Um, and she said what happened was he had gone to the doctor about three months uh, after they had done, or sort of prior to them uh, doing the mortgage insurance, and the doctor said he had high cholesterol. And he didn't, uh, he wasn't taking any medication or anything like that, but he didn't disclose that on the application for the mortgage insurance. And he passed away about six years later of cancer, unrelated to cholesterol whatsoever. And the, and the insurance company said, sorry, you didn't disclose that on the application and um, we're denying claim. So she got a lawyer involved, tried to fight, spent thousands of dollars in lawyer fees, trying to fight the insurance companies. And, and you know, an individual fighting the insurance companies is, is generally a losing battle. Um, and it was in this case. And it, it really was heartbreaking because this woman had three kids uh minors you know under the age of 18 that she was now raising by herself after her husband's passed away of cancer thinking she did the right thing by having mortgage insurance and because it's not underwritten at time of application like most individual policies um she wasn't covered and he wasn't covered and it was really a sad situation that they ended up having to sell the family home um and didn't become clients because they didn't have any money um, it was really it was really a sad situation so my, my point is that um, mortgage insurance is, is nice to have. Um, it makes you feel good, but not necessarily is it the right type of coverage for, uh, for everyone. Um, so term insurance is something different. Um, it's underwritten at time of application. So they put you through a screening process pretty, pretty rigorously at the beginning. Um, and that can be a deterrent for some people. Some people don't, don't want the coverage um, because it's a little invasive type uh process you know they've they, you've got blood work to do there's height and weight questions there's medical questions so i i would just uh caution people when they're we're getting mortgage insurance as opposed to getting life insurance and you know what it's kind of interesting if you want the best physical in the world you get life insurance because <laughs> really what's happening is the life insurance company is saying okay we're willing to pay you a million dollars if you die. So we really want to know how healthy you are. And versus like you mentioned, Jay, mortgage insurance. Yeah, okay, well, you made it through this. It wasn't, they, they're approving it, but the underwriting and what that means to the listeners, they're actually doing the underwriting after the fact when they go to pay out. So then they question, was he really healthy before? Oh, we'll find out later if he's healthy in case somebody dies. Now the chance <laughs> of somebody collecting is like one and a half percent or even less, I believe, in term insurance is very low. So the banks don't come across this too often, but it's almost like they have this ace up their sleeve. Just in case somebody does die, we're going to go back and check to make sure he was perfectly healthy when he signed the application, dot the I's, versus a term policy, as you mentioned, Jay, they've already done all that. And once they approve you, unless it was like smoker status, a blatant, blatant lie, um, because they've gone through a doctor's report. In fact, I guess you could say, Jay, they, they would know if you're smoking because they, they would have found out through a doctor's report. Yeah, exactly. So the underwriting that's done through an uh, insurance company, and I didn't want to mislead the listeners that it's invasive, but it but it is. There's blood work that has to be done. There's there's height and weight questions. So they would when they do the blood work, they'd be able to find out if you're a smoker or a non-smoker. So even if you did decide to fib a little, um, <laughs> you're, you're going to get caught. Um, you can't you can't get away from that. So um, yeah, I just think that um, the 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 term insurance or individual life insurance seems to be a better option in terms of uh, solidifying the whole financial plan and making sure you're going to get a payout. 
We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here along with Jay Llewellyn from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here along with Jay Llewellyn from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. And of course, call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, uh, guys, obviously uh, on the cusp of an election here, we go to the polls on Monday. What does this do to financial planning? Is this, do you, do you ride this out and, and you know, steady as she goes? Uh, what do you do during an election? You know what? Uh, yeah, big two days from now, the election uh, is there. So yeah, Monday night, uh, make sure all those voters get out there and have their say in which way the country goes. But uh, it's always tricky. You know, we, you, you go back to early elections and you go into the 90s. We had some debt crises back then and then balanced budgets. And, I, and it's kind of interesting. In the last week, both of one of your teammates on CHML's, Scott Radley, front page of the Spectre, billion-dollar campaign promises are great until we actually have to pay for them. Yeah. Um, and you know, another one, Rob, Rob Carrick. Um, how would your debt look if you were as casual as a federal political parties? And so at the end of the day, somebody has to pay the piper. And it's so great to, it's almost right now, um, balanced budgets, almost like a dirty word. Mm. They, they went away in the, you know, once Trudeau got elected, he promised he'd balance the budget in a certain period of time. And then I don't know how long it took, Scott, and was within a few months or six months later. Yeah, there we have no end in sight for a balanced budget. And so... You go back in time and you think, well, if cities, thankfully Hamilton, Burlington, and any city in Canada are not allowed to run deficits. So, you know, just like your own household. So you either have to increase your tax base, and that would be no different than us having a, say, in getting a raise or, or our spouse is working, or maybe our kids are working and they're, they're helping pay rent, um, save money elsewhere. You cut expenses, say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to go on a trip this year. I'm going to spend something on something else. Or... Raise taxes, which would be again like you just got an increase in pay. So cities are very similar to people that way. The difference is, federally, we are not. We can, and we simply can do all these things as social programs and simply raise and hopefully raise taxes to pay for them. But if that's not enough, on a yearly basis, we get what's called a deficit. And this is where it gets confusing. People often say, "Okay, what's a deficit?" Like, is a we we sometimes confuse the national debt of how much we owe, which just went over a trillion dollars recently, to a deficit, which is a yearly amount that we spent more than we made, okay? And it's okay to do that periodically, particularly during a pandemic. There's no choice or a recession. 08, 09 was a really good example too when we hit the financial crisis. And that's where government is great to throw in some money to keep the economy going because we've got some pent up money or some ability to borrow to help the economy, but you can't do it forever. And probably the best example was Paul Martin way back in the nineties as a liberal and he was a finance minister. And we were coming up to a bit of a debt crisis. Interest rates were a little higher. 
and we're spending 30% of our revenue, the federal revenue, was being spent simply on interest, not even paying down any of the debt. And so this is when interest rates rise. Right now, we are at you know, lifetime-long low interest rates right now, so it seems okay to add debt. No different than people right now adding to their home equities line of credit. You're seeing people do that. Well, interest rates are low. I can afford a house. And, and that's driving the prices of houses, as we've seen. But governments are adding debt right now, very, very low interest rates, a lot lower than we can borrow, for that matter. They're borrowing at under 1%. And that rate has literally dropped in half since the pandemic to kind of help the economy. It lowers everybody's interest rates. But you can imagine right now it's it's $20 billion per year currently is being spent on interest on debt. And these are at today's interest rates when they're extremely low. If, if interest rates tripled, that still would not be high and we would be spending $60 billion. And you can only imagine what $60 billion or even $20 billion for that matter could be spent on, on an annual basis. How many hockey rinks could that buy? Um, how many bridges, how much, how better could the roads be? So there's, it's a cost of spending money simply on interest. And so the best thing I could liken this to would be I did have a, a, a family I met and they literally were using their house to supplement their income. They're always spending, they had five kids or six kids, they're always spending more money than they're making and they kept going to their house to borrow money off in, in, in terms of the value of their house going up. So their house goes up, they would borrow more and they'd spend more and the house would go up, they borrow more. Well, as you get closer to retirement, you've got nothing there. You, have, you haven't been saving for RSPs. All you have is a very, very large mortgage on a house that's quadruple in value, and that is your only asset. And so, Paul Martin, you go back to the 90s. That was kind of where Canada was facing back in 1995. So it was a big deal, actually, 2020. It was 25 years since this big budget that Paul Martin, and it really was, say, we have to go a different route. We cannot continue. So he had to cut social programs. They had to cut some transfers of provinces, some very unpopular things because they can't afford it anymore. And they had to look at balancing the budget, which the liberals did. And it was a lot of, uh, actually, I guess uh, Justin Trudeau's previous, his dad had, had added a bunch of programs, which are all nice. Everybody wants social programs. Everybody wants a lot of things. But really what Paul Martin did was he said, okay, there's social programs and there's financial and policies. And you got to look, have a balance between them because if you don't have financial policies, you can't pay for the social programs eventually. You can only borrow so much. So quite a interesting, we've kind of gone full circle, funny enough, 25 years later, we're now balancing the budget. I know most of the platforms, people are very talk about it, and the conservatives uh, are saying, okay, we're looking at balancing budget in 10 years. And that almost seems aggressive these days because we haven't talked about balancing budget. So just to put it in, kind of give uh, um, listeners, you know, the difference between um, political parties, basically there's left wing. And what that means is you have more government involvement. There's a lot of social programs and basically increased taxes to pay for these social programs. And that would be normally what we would see the NDP and the Green Party. And you'll see a lot of the more socialistic countries, Finland, et cetera, that go that route and they have a lot of social programs and they just have, they also have the highest tax rate. So the 
you know, the population is paying the highest income tax rates in the world. Okay. Then you get the center, which is predominantly has been in, in the past been liberals, where you get, you know, mainly private ownership. There is some government intervention on key industries, such as healthcare. There's a median amount of taxation to pay. And there, it's kind of a supporting a mixed economy. And I think this is where most people say, okay, that's not bad. We get our social programs and we're looking financially too. Uh, they're, you know, making sure that our ducks are in order financially. But again, it could stray. So quite often the liberals could also stray more to the left. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of social programs and not a lot of involvement in terms of watching the books as carefully. And then you get the right wing, which is normally considered the conservatives, where you get less government, um, less spending on social programs, but your income taxes are lower. And I guess the thinking behind a conservative is, okay, well, if we tax you less, then the population will have more money to spend on things that they want. And there, so your dollars will, will really help the economy. And so that's usually the big one. And you'll notice that small business in Canada is, is the biggest employer and, and has more say than anything. So conservatives are generally helping the business, which also hire the people that work and to support the and pay the income taxes to support the social programs. So they do give usually a lot of incentives to work, period, and also to start a business. And this is what they call a market economy. So your market economy basically is you have people working or starting businesses, hire people, and the tax base is all generated. And it's basically businesses are supporting the overall economy. At the far end of it is the left wing, where it's a lot of government involvement, less business support, and higher taxes. And the government is spending your tax dollars to try to help the economy. So those are kind of the three wings. And, and I, I would argue right now, conservatives actually, if anything, have kind of moved more to the center. Because they're also, if you've heard yeah. a, a lot of the things they're saying, they're actually talking about a lot more social programs than we've ever heard yeah. of conservatives. Would you agree with that, Scott? Absolutely. And uh, it was interesting. I had Aaron O'Toole on the show a while back and uh, asked him about that and said, you know, there seems to be this big void in the center. And he said, I'm that guy. I'm the center. So he, he certainly did. He certainly did bring the party more to the center. But that has opened up the far right to the PPC, which creates a whole other issue. right? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. And so now you have people saying, well, well, that's not the conservative party we want. They're really conservatives are kind of really more liberal oriented and liberals are more NDP oriented. And well, that's, well, that's the thing. And I, I also had this comment, uh, this conversation with Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP just earlier on in the week. And, and uh, you know, it seems that every time what the NDP get what they think is a great idea, the liberals reach into their grocery basket and steal <laughs> the item and, uh, and again, sell that. So yeah, it seems that uh, the left has really veered to the left and uh, the right has to the right. And, I, again, I think most are in the center. Well, if you look at uh, what's taken place in six years since a Harper government was in place from a from a financial planning standpoint, the top tax bracket in Canada was 46.5%. And so if you made, and it was well over $200,000 at that time, I believe it was actually $500,000 at that time, you paid 46.5% on your income. Now, for most people, who the heck makes $500,000? And so it, very few people got into that bracket. Uh, 
and you know what, I, and I don't have those numbers exactly, it could have been 250, but at the end of the day, it was a fairly high number. But again, you're under the 50% tax bracket. Fast forward a few years later, and then the, t the highest tax bracket went from 46.5% to 53.53% for anybody making over $220,000. Now, a lot of people still say, okay, well, 53.53% is not is high, but I'm never going to be making over 220, so it doesn't affect me. This is where I would suggest most people are wrong, because it does affect people uh, at death. And this is where Jay and I and, and our whole team do a lot of estate planning to try to avoid the 53.5% tax bracket, because when if somebody passes away, all the, all the um, capital gains is taxed in the year of death, the RSPs are added to your income in the year of death. And all of a sudden, you think, well, I only made $100,000 was my highest income all my life. The year you died, all of a sudden my income's a million dollars because all the RSPs, and maybe you had a cottage and, and maybe you had a massive capital gain, maybe you had some non-registered investments and they had to be cashed in at death. This, by the way, is the second death because everything gets passed to your spouse tax-free, but on the second death, then you have to pay the piper. And so this has made a, a lot of work for you know, our whole team trying to figure out how it's the best way to pay tax while you're alive because nobody wants to pay more than half of your money to the, to the government. And for that matter, what it really means is your kids are getting 47% of the money or actually 46.5% and the government's getting 53.5% at death. So there goes your estate that you thought you're actually running a check for more than 50%. I actually personally think that should be illegal. I don't. I think most people would agree with that. And I think the ones that don't agree, once they actually have to write a check because their parents passed away and they realize that their income's over 220, it's always like, holy smokes, what could have been done about it? And a lot, quite often a lot could be done. It's about planning it year and years, like 10 years in advance to try to, cash in some of those investments and pay 30%. And I do speak to clients and they ask, oh, geez, I really don't want to pay tax now. Well, I'd rather you pay 30% now than 53.5% later. And so taxes, no, you know, nobody really wants to pay the piper, but I can tell you one thing, nobody wants to pay over 50% upon death. So these are the issues. And when it comes, and I know we can talk about politics all day. I know Scott loves this topic. He's probably uh, chomping at the bit right now. Well, Don, you had, you had mentioned that one uh, tax rate back in 2013 is when it switched to 2014. And that rate uh, was 49.53, anything over $509,000 in income. And that was back in 2013. So then in 2014, it switched. And then we we're back in that, that 220 uh income tax bracket so it it dropped drastically or, or or increased drastically however you want to spin it but it was uh it was over five hundred thousand, and you're paying 49.53 so under 50 percent and that was a surtax so it was 46 percent before that and then they added this surtax for the ultra wealthy if you will so at yeah. the end of the day when you do pick your your poison if you will <laughs> and who where you're going to put your ex you should look also at the financial ramifications of your decision
We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here along with Jay Llewellyn from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or contact them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. If you'd like to get in touch with them, donfox.net, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Jay's here. We're talking about insurance, and Don's giving life lessons. Jay, where do you take it from here? Yeah, I I won't even touch the politics. My my dad told me never to talk about religion or or politics to clients, so I'll let Don sink himself on that one, and then I'll uh, I'll, I'll stand up. What would he say to you about talking about insurance? <laughs> well, that's a whole different ballgame, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's sure. not that popular of a subject at dinner parties today, <laughs> insurance either. Mind you, I, I'm sure politics and religion pretty much clears the room, too. So Yeah, insurance usually uh, drops the mic at, at dinner parties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not that boring, really. Uh, so, yeah, to get into insurance, um, we were talking about mortgage insurance, talking about term insurance. One of the pitfalls I see with term insurance, so I, I wasn't being so hard on mortgage insurance. There are some pitfalls with term insurance because if you if you sign up for a term, let's say um, uh, a five-year, 10-year, or 20-year term, it's just that. You're, you're signed up for a specific period of time. And then after that 20 years or 10 years or five years, you're up for a renewal. And at that renewal point, premiums generally get uh, very costly, somewhere between four and six times what you were paying when you originally set up uh, the original term, depending again on the length of the term and whatnot. So I find a lot of clients that set these term policies up, you know, 20 years ago and then 20 years passes and they said, oh shoot, I still have a mortgage and I still have some debt and kids are going to school and I've got all these, these financial concerns still and I still want the insurance, but it's four or five times the price that I was paying and it's just not feasible for me to keep this anymore. Or uh, they don't know any better and they, and they just pay the renewal premiums. And paying those renewal premiums at, at four or five times doesn't have to be the way. What they can do is they can approach the insurance company or any insurance company for that matter and reapply for coverage. And what that means is they're reapplying for the coverage and, and proving that they're still in good health. Yeah, mind you, maybe you're 20 years older and there's a few things that have gone wrong over the over the 20 years. You may be on certain medications that you weren't on 20 years ago, but the, the end is that if you can prove that you're basically not terminal, the premiums will be a lot cheaper than what those renew, renewal premiums are. So the renewal premiums are basically the insurance company saying, we're going to still insure you and cover you for the same amount that you're covered for before. However, we feel that you, you're probably terminal because you're not willing to prove that you're in good health. And, and we're going to charge you for it. Um, That's a so, little harsh, isn't it, Jay? What's that? That seems a little harsh. <laughs> they, uh... It is, but that's 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 kind of where they're looking, right? So uh, I encourage I think all- most people don't know that. Yeah. 
yeah, they figure they, they've got to keep the policy. If they want coverage, they've got to keep paying those premiums, and that's just the way it is. And it, and they do have options. You know, it, Maybe they don't need the coverage anymore, and they cancel the policy altogether. But if they still need, if the insurance needs still there, um, I look at it and say, let's let's see if we can prove that you're you're not terminal because you're breathing right now, and, and you're, <laughs> um, and we'll see what we can get in terms of in terms of a rate. So yeah, they might not get standard rates or or preferred rates, but it's it's generally in my experience far greater uh, in terms of the premiums that they were paying compared to what the renewal premium premiums are, and. And, you know, like you said, Don, you're going through a physical basically again, 20 years later, it's a, it's a nice life check to say, okay, where am I at? Because, you know, in my experience, I've, I don't know, I've probably done over a thousand, maybe 2000 of these applications. And a lot of people don't go to the doctor that often. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is a great way to, to get yourself in check and, and to see where you are in terms of, uh, in terms of your health. Um, the other thing is, uh, I was talking about the difference between term and, and mortgage insurance. So term insurance, like I said, is generally less costly than the mortgage insurance. Um, you've got level coverage. Um, so mortgage insurance is a decreasing balance. Every time you make a payment on your mortgage, you've got less and less coverage, whereas term insurance generally will have a lump sum or a, a level benefit that gives you coverage during that whole time of that term, and it doesn't decrease. And it's up to you if you want to decrease it. You, you stick with that amount. Um, and on renewal, you have that same amount as well. So lots of lots of different things that happen with term insurance that are are, are pros as a, against mortgage insurance again mortgage insurance has its place um it's easy um term insurance is a little bit more difficult to get um, but worth it because it's cheaper and it's, and it's better coverage in my opinion we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson all also here don fox and jay llewellyn from fox group private wealth management you can hit donfox.net to find out more and you can also reach them through ig private wealth management at 905-972-7420 gonna take a quick break here we're coming right back you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here along with Jay Llewellyn, all from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can check out the website, give them a call, uh, donfox.net or 905-972-7420 through IG Private Wealth Management. Don, you want to talk about RESPs and, and how you withdraw that in a, in a way to save the most tax and get the most bang for your buck well yeah you know what the best part about resp is that the kids are going back to university college right now and then we're getting some calls okay how do we get these funds out what's the most we should do and you know what these are big decisions because over all these 18 years you've been putting the money away to save for your kids education it could have easily grown to sixty thousand to eighty thousand dollars which is fantastic nice problem to have first of all is that you will be able to pay for most of your kids education just from putting that you know, a couple thousand dollars away each year and then the government grant plus the growth and all that's been tax-free up until now. And the growth is, and the grant are taxable upon withdrawal. So basically, you have to think, okay, well, it's taxable to the student, first of all, and not the, and not, and not the parents that put the funds in. And so you look at the p pulling the money out, the return of payments is your own principal and that is tax-free. So you put these funds in and so over the course of that period of time around thirty five thousand dollars 
would have been what you put into the money, actually 36,000 to get the maximum grant. So 36,000 went in and you can take the 36,000 out. However, the other $35,000 potentially was growth and grant. And that's called um, education assistant payment and that's EAP and that's all taxable. So they do have some rules. The first 13 weeks, you can only pull out $5,000 of the growth and grant. And so that was, and by the way, that's $2,500 if you're a part-time student. So that's 5,000, so that's somewhat limiting. And what that is, is that $5,000 comes out, it's taxable to the student. Now you can take out more funds. In fact, you can take out all the principal if you like. There's no strings attached to the principal. Simply the growth and grant. Basically the government's wanting you to say, okay, I've got my kid, I've got $35,000 on the line here of, of growth and grant. And we want to make sure that this is a legit student, not somebody just going there for the first day saying I'm, I'm going to school and pulling out all the growth and grant and because they're really not going to go to school. So that's why they put this kind of oversight to make sure that you can't pull out more than 5,000. Now, because the growth and grant is taxable, you have to look at that totally separate. And let's say that's for argument's sake, there's $35,000 of growth and grant. Well, I had one parent and they looked at this and they were very, very keen. They waited the 13 weeks. The last week of December, they took out the following, the following amount for the, for the uh, tuition. And so the problem is, is the first 5,000 was taxable in, in the, that one year. Had they just waited one more week, it would have been taxable in the following year. And after that 13 weeks is over, you can pull out all the growth and grant if you wish. It might make sense. It might not. It depends mm -hmm. how your, your kid's tax bracket. It also depends on do you actually think your child is going to finish university, okay? Because if you leave any of that fun, those funds in there, then that money, um, the growth go, comes back to the parents, taxable, um, at 20% penalty on top of that, and the grant goes back to the government. So you got this juggling game. How much growth and grant should I take out? And what is the ability of my child's finishing university? And it's and on top of that, there's a lot of co-op programs these days. And so then you want to time the co-op programs because quite often they're a four-month program and an eight-month program during the year. So during the four-month program, their income's a lot lower. So that's the year you want to pull out a lot of growth and grant. The eight-month program when they're working then it's, you don't want to add more money to them that year because they're already going to be paying tax. Um, on top of that, there's no straight, a lot of people feel that they have to put this over the full four years or three year course. There, there's a lot of cases where I try to get rid of this as quick as I can so that you, the government no longer has any strings attached. In fact, once your child hits 18, they have their own tax-free savings account room. So then you can move $6,000 per year into a TFSA and it grows tax-free. So just like anything, everything needs a financial plan. The RESPs are just another layer of your plan. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or, of course, give them a call at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great show. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Have a great week. And, Thanks, get out to, and get out to vote. Yeah, Absolutely. Get out and vote, everyone. Thanks, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, 
The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.